Chemical City Double Reeds is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH, all caps, no spaces. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at chemicalcityreads.com. Consider buying your processed oboe and bassoon cane from those friendly folks over at Barton Cane. Processed with care and precision for your everyday reed-making needs. Take the pain and injury out of reed-making by letting Barton Cane do the hard, repetitive, boring stuff. Free up time for practicing happy hours, hikes, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Barton Cane, here for you. Visit www.bartoncane.com. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. anniversary my love happy anniversary (laughs) my beautiful podcast friend five years can you believe it no (laughs) i remember being like when we started it chris and i talking about it and him me being like we don't have the time and he was like i'm sure after you get your routine it's just lather rinse repeat and it really is just one episode becomes two episodes becomes five years of episodes (laughs) yesterday i was talking to becky and i was like it's coming up to our sixth anniversary of the podcast it's not it's not (laughs) wait is it when did we start we started in 2016 so it's five yeah it's five i thought it was five (laughs) wait did we start in 2016 or 2015 I'm pretty sure it was 2016. I thought I, I think you're right, but I thought I started working in Missouri in 2015, 2016 academic year, and we started in December. Was it 2015? <laughs> the listeners are like, good God, ladies. <laughs> Does anyone listen to the anniversary episode last year? Can you tell us what the number oh, was? That would be an easy easy way to do i'm scrolling episode Uh, (laughs) andrew brady episode one five years ago five years okay yes (laughs) thanks soundcloud (laughs) i do this to becky too i'm like how long have we been married how long have we been together oh yeah i feel like once you get like around 35 it all bleeds together it does i always have to ask chris like how old am i how old am i am i Well, I did a Goog and the traditional anniversary gift Mm -hmm. for five years is wood, Mm -hmm. which is pretty um, appropriate. Our instruments are wood. Our reeds are wood. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have anything to do with anything, but (laughs) we're we're here. (laughs) And so I thought, especially because the podcast is such a advocate of puns as a love yeah. language mm-hmm. that we should play would you rather oh boy 
So we've asked the listeners and we will answer individually uh-huh. some would you rather double read questions. Mm-hmm. So Galit, would you rather exclusively play in orchestra or in a chamber group for the rest of your life? Well, I voted chamber group. I'm with you. I would rather play in a chamber group for the rest of my career. So the people who voted for orchestra are clearly wrong. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Would you rather play second oboe for the rest of your life or play English horn for the rest of your life? And why? English horn, obviously, because (laughs) it's a solo instrument and we all know I need my cookies. (laughs) Well, 56% of people agree with you. I'm shocked it was so evenly divided. Well, here I would propose, and I don't know this for sure. I haven't looked deeply into the data, but I would guess that Contra versus second bassoon is bringing Mm -hmm. that down. Like if we ask exclusively oboist, English or second, and Mm -hmm. bassoonist, Contra or second, I would guess that bassoonists are going to want to play second more than because the contra bassoon it is not a solo instrument <laughs> unless it's mother goose sweet and then that is stressful yeah so i would and i also feel like just it's an expectation that an oboist gets exposure and does some english horn mm-hmm. like that's just kind of normal mm-hmm. and i don't know that it's really the same on bassoon like maybe we've all played contra once on a band piece or something but I don't know. Contra stresses me out and I would second bassoon also stresses me out, but I think I'd rather be stressed out on something familiar than something unfamiliar. Yeah. I'd rather be. Yeah. I totally get it. Like stressed out on an instrument that you understand. (laughs) (laughs) Not what is this giant fart machine I'm holding? (laughs) Okay. Oboists. Would you rather have a left F key or a low B flat key? I'm also shocked at this result. The right answer was low B flat key, but I was in the minority. Most of you voted for the left F key. What? 72% want a left F. So you 72% want to cover those holes with your knees. (laughs) Well, here, uh, let me be the voice of the people. How many times do you play an F? versus the rate or ratio of low B flats that you encounter. I mean, that's the only rationale that I can accept. (laughs) (laughs) It's just that forked F is really that bad. I mean, it depends on your oboe. I don't, I feel like I'm opening up inadvertently a bucket of worms. I know y'all have forked F uh, issues. Yeah, that's uh, true. I'm about to get slammed. (laughs) Never meant to start a war. Bassoonists, would you rather have an A flat, B flat trill key or a high F key? Now, here I was outvoted as well. The vast majority at 71% have said A flat, B flat trill. For me, it is a high F, though when I purchased my bassoon that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, my priorities were those two keys. I was like, I really want a bassoon that can do both of these. I didn't get it. I got an A flat, B flat trill key and not a high F key. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's because high notes stress me out so much, Uh, Mm. but I would rather just have something that helps me out instead of prayer, which is basically my high F technique right now. Pray and squeeze. You can fake A flat, B flat trill keys or. Can you have that added or something? 
Oh, I don't know. Sometimes when, before I had one, I'd just like leave them out, which I'm sure people are like, oh my God, clutching their pearls. <laughs> but <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but uh, in, a, in a great world, we'd have both, right? Yeah, sure. Elbowists, would you rather perform La Scala or Tombo? And in this one instance, I side with the majority in Tombo with the rest of the 76%. So full disclosure, I came up with the would you rather questions and do, are these comparable? Is my perception as a bassoonist uh, accurate that these are like comparable excerpts and that they're super exposed and fast and flashy? Yeah, I would say so. So what makes Tombo the preferable excerpt to you? Well, as a piece, Tombo is more fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tombo has multiple movements and different moods and has that beautiful minuet. I would rather do Tombo. Scala is just short and scary. <laughs> and then it either went well or didn't. <laughs> Bassoonist, would you rather perform Rite of Spring or Ravel Piano Concerto? 68% say Rite of Spring. Um, I'd rather play neither. <laughs> Instances such as these are why I'd rather be in a chamber group for the rest of my life than play orchestra music. <laughs> um, honestly, like, I know I have three degrees in this instrument and it's technically how I pay my bills. But if I was asked to play principal on either of these pieces, I would like probably cry myself to sleep for a month straight. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had to, again, I think Rite of Spring is a... A better piece or or would be my taste to play and rehearse and kind of mm-hmm. l- live in but i do think ravel piano concerto is arguably a little more stressful that high e the technique that's impossible oh god bless god bless <laughs> y'all excerpt warriors who are living with both of these and finally would you rather and why play early music or new music now this had was nearly 50 50 mm-hmm. i would have to say new music just because you can do it your way because mm-hmm. i'm an individual you know what i mean i gotta have it my way i am so afraid of baroque and early music because i'm like <laughs> they're experts and they know that the articulation should be exactly this the vibrato should be this the ornaments should be this if it's french after this year right it should be blah and it's like i know someone knows that it has very strong opinions of it that i don't know any of that and mm-hmm. that i'm like it's like when i went overseas Stressful. and i really didn't want to look like an american dummy Mm-hmm. And so I had a hard time enjoying myself because the whole time I was like, am I crumbling across like an American dummy if I ask this question, buy this thing, eat this thing, do this thing? <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, like they can just tell from our body language that we're American dummies. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel with early music. Like people are like, oh, yeah, Bach, this, that, the other. I love it. And I'm like, I'm so glad it stresses me out. And I know a lot of bassoonists will like play the cello suites just like as a warm up to like live in and love. And I should probably do more of that. But performing it, holy moly. You should live, laugh, love that Bach. Yes. And Vivaldi stresses me out less. I feel like it's a little more straightforward. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the stuff that basically I know enough to know that I don't know enough. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Same. I'm like, oh, shoot. I used vibrato here. Oh, Oh, man. Oh, man. Just give me some multiphonics and call it a day. (laughs) 
Well, happy anniversary, girl. I'm so glad we're still here. Still crazy after all these years. Whoa. I just heard the simultaneous sounds of all of our (laughs) listeners turning this off. Founded by Logan Esterling, Read Design is pushing the boundaries of oboe and English horn reed making. They take the knowledge they've collected from hundreds of reeds and, with the power of machine learning, derive patterns and trends that accurately predict the characteristics of finished reeds while early in the sorting process. The result is quality reads with characteristics you can count on. Using their products will save you valuable time and let you get back to what you love, making music. Visit www.readdesign.io to learn more. That's R-E-E-D-E-S-I-G-N dot I-O. Specializing in the finest assortment of oboes, clarinets, bassoons, and their accessories, RDG Woodwinds serves musicians around the world. Their employees are all professional musicians who have a deep knowledge of the products that they sell. RDG's repair shop has an international reputation with a combined 100 plus years of service among the five repair technicians. Plain and simple, RDG provides excellent products and fabulous customer service. Visit them at rdgwoodwinds.com. They look forward to working with you. We are so excited to speak with Yoshi Ishikawa, professor of bassoon at the University of Colorado Boulder. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. I would love to start by asking you how you started playing the bassoon. How did I stop playing the bassoon? Uh, I believe I'm a typical bassoonist where in high school, band director asks, Oh, somebody just uh, playing saxophone or clarinet said, hey, would you like to play the bassoon? Because we the bassoonists. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to me. And I said, sure, what is it? <laughs> but, uh, literally, uh, uh, I was willing to do anything since I love playing music. And that's how my career in bassoon got started. I was playing clarinet until then. So how did you decide um, I think I'd like to be a professional musician or um, can you talk us through the bassoon taking a, a prominent enough role in your life mm-hmm. that it was something you decided to pursue as a career? I always l- like to pursue and get into things that I like to do. And my parents never pushed me into doing or going to any field. Uh, unlike typical uh, Asian parents, hey, you must be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> no, they didn't do that. Uh, and so I always loved music because my father was a classical music listener uh, lover. Uh, and as I, uh, uh, in high school, actually, I was advised by my band director, hey, you're, you know, you're really good with your fingers uh, and, and you do well, you're doing well in academics. I think you should become a dentist. Uh, that was my advice from my band director. I said, dentist? <laughs> Why do I want to be a dentist? <laughs> they make a lot of money, and you always have a job. And I said, but, but I despise dentists. I, I'm scared to go to dentists. There's no way I'm going to torture anyone becoming a, a dentist. Anyway, I was never convinced <laughs> to become a dentist, and glad that I selected the field which I love, that is music. And 
I really didn't have a so-called career path of I am going to be an orchestral musician, or I'm going to be a teacher, but I wanted to do something in music because that's what I my passion was. So you were open to anything as long as it was in music. Oh, yes. Yeah. And throughout my life, that's uh, there were a few occasions which I thought, oh, my gosh, what the hell am I doing in music? <laughs> <laughs> my brother has a bachelor's degree in engineering and aerospace, and yeah, he has a better car than I do. He makes more money than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more educated than he is. What, what did I do wrong? <laughs> then, <laughs> then I asked myself, well, my, my, my brother would come home, uh, and first thing he would do is, uh, he's an amateur musician, and he would pick up his guitar and play. And I said, what are you doing? And what, what he's winding down from work. Ha ha. You know, I do this for a living. I don't have to wind down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm glad I stayed in music, of course. Would you talk us through your training and educational journey and how you got to where you are today? Uh, sure. Uh, I was born in Japan. I came to the United States when I was 11 years old uh, as part of my father's business uh, deal with a Japanese company. Uh, since then, I remained in the United States, educated, and after graduating from high school, I attended the Northwestern University, where I pursued and received a degree in Bachelor of Music Education. Uh, that wasn't my choice. I would just recommend that, well, if you're going to music, you better have something uh, that's worthwhile, so get an education degree. And I said, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, although uh, I, I valued ed education, uh, education, but um, I knew at that time teaching in high school was not, was not in my, uh, my passion. Uh, so uh, I, I continue, but I also knew that I, if I want to become a professional player or teacher other than high school, I, I need to be better. So I pursued my uh, master's degree uh, at Northwestern. Then after that, I uh, went to University of Michigan to pursue my DMA. A semester before I finished my degree, I was hired uh, at a tenure track position at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So that's how I fell into my, my profession and my training uh, in Bassoon. And uh, I had several teachers uh, at Northwestern. Uh, none of my teachers are alive anymore. Uh, Wilbur Simpson, who used to be the second Bassoon of Chicago Symphony, was my teacher. Uh, really a fine influence in my career in terms of uh, what, uh, understanding what the orchestra players do, which told me that's not what I wanted to do. Then I met Hugh Cooper, if not, he is one of my most influential teachers in my life. Uh, he taught at the University of Michigan for a long time. He was the one who first uh, explored and studied acoustics and developed a, a map, a design, which put their use to improve their instruments. And mm -hmm. there are, from the 60s and 70s and 80s, model of Cooper Pukhnibisun that used his, uh, his pattern as a basic design. That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, uh, was one of the most brilliant individuals I have ever studied with and, and most influential since he was interested in everything, everything that had to do with music as well as other forms of arts, uh, literature. Uh, that interested me because I was interested in many things, and uh, I was inspired by that. Hugh Cooper, uh, I recall when for the first time that he had a dictionary on his desk, and he had a little, little mark in the dictionary. You know, I think Webster, big thick dictionary. 
And, and I said, well, why is there a mark in there? I said, well, I'm reading the dictionary. I said, what do you mean you're reading the dictionary? <laughs> I said, I'm reading the dictionary. I am on K. <laughs> <laughs> he was literally reading the dictionary. I love that. What a cool way to follow your curiosity. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, I don't know if you know anything about uh, Hugh Cooper, uh, but he uh, studied with Hans Meinig. Uh, the uh, very famous Philadelphia repair uh, or technician. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Manig and his family's name, uh, uh, there's a legacy behind that. And uh, one of the uh, interests of Cooper was how to make current bassoons up to the highest standard possible. And, and that's what Hans Manig did, and that's why he was interested in it. And, and so uh, I uh, learned from him by observing what he did to bassoons, and as a result of it, uh, I'm able to do rebuild instruments and and service my own, uh, other than any the major key work. So uh, I have never uh, had my instruments serviced by anybody except me. Wow, that is so cool. Have you ever played on a Cooper Puchner? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the University of Colorado has several copies uh, uh, Cooper Puchners. Uh, they resemble uh, more of older. 8,000 series instruments, uh, very light, uh, very bright. They're very nice instruments. That's fascinating. And you also studied with Norman Hertzberg. Correct. He's so known for his reed making. So it's interesting that you had this, you know, great bassoon acoustical mindset. And then also this kind of the equivalent in the reed making world. Could we hear a little bit about Mr. Hertzberg? Sure. I was fortunate to uh, land a uh, job uh, immediately or right before I finished my last recital and submit my, my work at the University of Michigan. So when I went to uh, teach, uh, I, I felt that I, oh, I needed more instruction. I, I, there were lots of issues which that I said, no, I don't know how to solve this. I don't know how to do this. I, I needed to uh, study. So I uh, would almost every uh, two weeks or so, uh, drive from Las Vegas to L.A. and took various lessons from different individuals, including Don Chrislieb, uh, Alan Goodman, and finally Norman Hertzberg. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed and appreciated Norman Hertzberg for the fact that I went to see Norman since he was extremely well known for being direct, that he would not hold anything back, but that's what I wanted. And I went to Mr. Hertzberg, so, you know, Tell me everything I'm doing wrong because I need to correct it. Anyway, the hope, uh, uh, the process that, that resulted in a very good relationship. Uh, he liked me and I liked him. At, at the same time, uh, he was also making his and experimenting and research on, on his bead machines. And I took very much interest in that. Uh, and that in addition to having a bassoon lessons, I would, uh, I took lessons on, on bead making and uh, learn quite a bit of his approach, his philosophies, and the reasons for why he built his machine. Uh, what's interesting about Herzberg as compared to Cooper is Cooper had an approach to reed making that he did not use a profiler. He made his reeds using his pocket knife. Wow. And, but he had a very specific technique which resulted in a very accurate dimensional, especially in the back of, of it's, it's a process where identifying the certain thickness of the cane at a certain spot, then and technique of peeling 
the king, and when that's done, you get exact parallel, so-called the scrape of the back. Anyway, he would peel it. Yeah, he would peel it. Well, a king uh, uh, is layered. Yeah. So if you uh, will cut a, a wedge of the king using dial indicator, find let's say a certain thickness. If you grab that and just simply pick up with a knife, you yeah. can peel it, and you'll deal with the thickness from that particular point to to the back. So if you put a hose clamp uh, at where the collar would be and find the exact measurement that you like in the back, you peel it and you can just peel that off and you have exact so-called the beginning of a true parallel scrape wreath. But anyway, uh, uh, Cooper was to the point that you cannot use machine because it, it results in compression, which it does. Mm -hmm. But Hussberg was into uh, absolute symmetry anyway uh, and his machine produces absolutely incredibly symmetrical reads and very accurate reads. But I was fortunate enough to learn one technique which also produced very accurate reads, but in a very artistic way, where uh, Hussberg is extremely calculated way. And uh, so I, I, I learned both ways. But regardless, uh, I liked Hussberg's technique. I liked the fact that uh, his machine produced extremely consistent profile that when uh, if for anybody who knows how to or who are, are taught how to use this machine can duplicate it as opposed to Cooper's method may require a little bit of trial and error it's not an uh, it's more of a um, oh like painting uh, and and it requires certain uh, ability to do so but Hersberg has been a great influence in my life as well his discipline, his approach, his philosophies, and as combined to the total opposite approach of Hugh Cooper. So I, I tried to digest both and use the best parts of both. Mm -hmm. I've also had a lot of um, varied teachers, and I also love that some of their their methods are complete opposites. How do you incorporate those into your teaching? Are there some like uh, philosophies where you're like, take that one and I'll take that one and I'll take that one or are, are you able to be a chameleon mm -hmm. whatever the student needs you have it I use technique that worked for me and relay that to to students for example Hersberg's absolute uh, discipline associated with with developing clean and meticulous technique through the use of etudes uh, I find that to be extremely valuable and important and I do uh, instill that in my students as well. Uh, Melody scale says is, is the Bible. You have to be able to play it, not just go through, but play it accurately, as well as other actors. I uh, also um, value what, what Cooper told me in terms of mechanics. Uh, you have to have the right setup to be able to realize or to become a musician or be able to play the bassoon well. Anything that uh, this, uh, as a cause of, uh, let's say, because a bassoon is not properly maintained, you are out of tune, etc. It's not acceptable, and you should be uh, aware of that. Uh, I also uh, value uh, Cooper's uh, global knowledge, in other words, uh, in, in, in realizing and understanding music, not just playing notes, not just listening to recording, but knowing a little bit more about the composer, uh, knowing the history, knowing, understand the harmonic language, not like theorists, but to basically know, oh, it's in the key, or it doesn't modulate, it's chromatic, will help music, uh, students to 
clearly uh, come up with their own unique interpretive ideas as opposed to copying. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that I'm able to use both. And since neither contradicted each other, they all pursued the same uh, goal of teaching students how to be independent and to promote excellence and perfection or try to achieve as near perfection as possible in what they do. Could you talk to us about starting and winning your job at the University of Colorado and maybe if you could mix in some hints or um, advice rather for people listening who are still pursuing an academic career path? I think one of the most important component of acquiring a job uh, is to have known or to have networked and built connections where a professional connection with others. Uh, and that only can be done with individual work where often by doing projects, realizing, for example, uh, for example what you do, by doing things that benefit others or that others would be attracted to, is one of the best ways to let yourself know and for others to be interested in who you are and what you're able to do. Uh, and when I, at, at the University of Nevada, uh, I had uh, a couple of wonderful opportunities to do that. And one was to uh, to create a professional woodland quintet, which we toured and received grants and commission. Another was that uh, my opportunity to be involved in International Double Research Society, uh, and which I started to be involved in the 1980s. But the quintet, through our performances, through our outreach programs, uh, as well as trying, I was able to connect with the teachers uh, and also present master classes at universities. And that helped me to connect with key or important individuals or uh, well-known individuals. And one so happened to be uh, Ron Klimko. I don't know if you know Klimko. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the editor of the Bassoon uh, of the Double Read uh, publication. Uh, anyway, uh, because it, uh, I had this this connection, the, when the University of Colorado vacancy occurred, Klimko was asked to be the one-year interim bassoon faculty at University of Colorado. But all, that was only for one year, year since he was the professor at University of Idaho. Uh -huh. And he, I later discovered, recommended to the chair of the search committee, by the way, you should contact Yoshi. He may be, may be a good job for him. <laughs> or you may like him. And, and I didn't know that, but at the same time, uh, while I was on tour with the quintet, I apply to the job. So have to be that I sent in my application via FedEx on the last day. <laughs> <laughs> but the two connections where the chair of the search committee at that time knew of me because of Ron Klimko that I had a connection with, well, um, eventually I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's... It's, a, it's, it's establishing the network to getting to know others. And that is through work, like I stated, that uh, will benefit others 
has the best impact. Uh, I mentioned IDRS. Uh, I hosted the 1987 IDRS conference in, in Las Vegas, actually, uh, before you, maybe both of you were born. <laughs> I was three. I was two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my goal at that time is that I attended a couple of other uh, IDRS conferences, but I thought, you know, it's, it, it, can, it needs to be better than, uh, it needs to be upgraded. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I hosted it, and uh, so happened to, to be uh, had a the biggest uh, turnout of 500, and was very very successful. And also, uh, then I got uh, involved into IDRS uh, executive board, and um, I was a president for a while, or for the a four year term, and got involved in creating various projects. And through my, again, uh, work with IDRS and Quintet, I began to also receive invitation to do other things, master classes, not only in the United States, but from Asia, because I'm Japanese. Uh, and I took advantage of that and that everything just worked out really well for me. Tell us more about the Asian Double Read Association. Yes. Asian Double Read Association was initially uh, conceived in 2005. 10 years prior to the IDOS conference in, in Tokyo, Japan. By that time, I, I traveled to Japan quite a few times and established a good professional relationship with key uh, colleagues and key teachers and uh, planted a seed and then that I would love to see the IDOS conference somewhere in Asia and why not be Tokyo, where I'm sure maybe many people will be interested in coming. But uh, there was one big problem to solve uh, in a, uh, in Japan and also true in Asia. And that is in uh, Japan and other Asian countries, the the practice of mentorship governs both the orchestra world as well as professional world of music. Mm-hmm. Meaning that it's very extremely important for an individual to have studied with a teacher if you want to have a position, similar position in that orchestra mm. or in that teaching position. And of course, only the qualified individuals will receive it. But uh, usually if you become a member of a certain orchestra, they've studied with a teacher there, and then they have subsequently traveled to Germany and did further study, won competition, came back. But, but that connection is extremely important. As a result of that, the double ring world in, in Japan at that time was uh, very tribal, meaning mm. that relationship, this teacher and their tribe or their studio was protected and guarded and maintained its own independence. Mm-hmm. Although they respected and, and got together with others, but that was a very, very important so-called uh, philosophy, if not uh, practice to follow. Mm-hmm. So in order to uh, uh, host a conference in Japan, uh, we need to somehow unite all these tribal uh, tribes in Japan and other Asian countries which have a similar approach, mm-hmm. as well as to be able to merge bassoonists and oboists, which, which is unheard of in Japan. You know, why should we hang around with oboists? <laughs> different, different world. I agree. Uh, <laughs> So they said, well, one solution is, oh, well, let's, 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 uh, create, uh, an Asian Double Read Association where represented by all the top teachers, uh, in Asia and through their sponsorship, 
then we are able should be able to host conference double conference in Japan because it's not hosted by one tribe from Tokyo associated with NHK Symphony Orchestra, but Asian Double Association, which a main principal bassoonist of X, Y, and Z Orchestra from here here all belong, as well as from China and others. Well, that became extremely successful in the sense that, uh, uh, like I stated, I discovered uh, through my travels that approach to so-called uh, approach of, uh, apprenticeship existed in in, in China, uh, in Korea, mm -hmm. uh, not so in Thailand, uh, maybe in Philippines, but it was pretty much universal uh, in, in the area, and they all liked the idea. And uh, uh, we also. Uh, uh, and and group of uh, the top teachers and, and players got together and said uh, decided to host a conference of HNW Society every three years if possible and we did so first one being at the Mahido University in uh, Thailand uh, second one being at the uh, uh, the uh, uh, in Taiwan uh, uh, as part of Jai uh, uh, International Music Festival and third one being the Tokyo, Japan, where it was uh, the idea was conference as endorsed and sponsored, co-sponsored by the Asian Double Association. Uh, we kept on that uh, tradition, and subsequently we had uh, a conference in uh, Beijing in uh, 2019, actually in December, where I was there at uh, Minzu University right before the COVID um, break, uh, yeah. uh, outbreak, uh, where. Uh, Many uh, well individuals from all these Asian countries got together uh, and in performance, master classes, and academic presentations at the Minzu University. So that's the history of Asian Double Association. We have been pretty quiet recently uh, for the past couple of years for obvious reasons, and many things have been canceled. But the as you are aware, 2023 a conference after the IDRS at Boulder will be held at Mahito University. Mm -hmm. College of Music, uh, where Chris Shaw, my colleague, who is American, but uh, professor of uh, bassoon at Mahito University, who is also one of the founding members of the Asian Bassoon Association, will host a conference. Uh, and uh, in China, Li Lansong, who is the uh, um, professor at the Beijing Conservatory, uh, holds every three years uh, Beijing International Bassoon Festival, where more than a thousand uh, Chinese students uh, will get together and perform and present master classes oh. and, and I guess. And they also have a, a double, uh, uh, the Beijing Obo Festival with similar turnout hosted by uh, uh, Weiwei. Uh, and, uh, um, and both uh, the uh, Wei uh, and as well as uh, Li Lan Song are also the member of the Asian Double Association. And I am now encouraging and working with them to hopefully to be able to bring uh, good Asian representatives to the Ideas Conference at 2021 20, in Boulder. And that is all, if, considering all the visa and vaccine and other technical aspects are resolved. Well, you mentioned uh, IDRS 2022 in Boulder, mm -hmm. and I have a two-part question. Yes. Um, the first would be, you know, you've hosted one before, um, you're planning one now. Talk to us a little bit about what goes into planning an IDRS conference and what your goals are. And then, of course, my second part is talk to us about how we are all supposed to make reads at <laughs> that high of altitude. 
and how excited you are to be the only one who sounds good. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, uh, you need to do certain prayers and certain <laughs> yeah. movements. Uh, and soak your reed and kimchi, I guess. <laughs> the most delicious reed ever. That's, that's right. A little, a little fermentation take you out of the, uh, the fiber to be able to be broken down. <laughs> that's the kind of altitude training I'm here for. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, Peter Cooper and I, uh, he's the co-host, are uh, uh, planning to put together a program that uh, would, again, be... Uh, appealing to to many, especially we would love to encourage younger professionals, students to to attend, to be inspired by great performances, uh, by uh, top performers, emerging performers, to be discovered performers from the United States as it being in Europe. Uh, we have a plans for traditional showcase evening recitals, featuring again uh, a leading established players, uh, as well as series of uh, uh, diverse programming uh, uh, featuring younger players and hopefully to be discovered or to have uh, uh, should be discovered new works by uh, underrepresented composers mixed with uh, uh, the tra traditional important canons of uh, repertoire uh, 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 and uh, master classes and interesting lectures. And of course, we can't forget the exhibitors and uh, displays where, where we want to get as many instrument makers and trinket makers to, to, to attend. So uh, uh, that is our plan. Uh, 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 I think the difficulty is, all right, uh, what can we expect? Uh, uh, will Europeans and Asians easily be able to come to the United States. Right. How would people feel about the COVID situation? Uh, mm -hmm. Knowing uh, comfort is that uh, Boulder, 98% at the University of Colorado Boulder, uh, we are all vaccinated. And Boulder has a very high vaccination rate. And That's of course, amazing. Said, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, Boulder also uh, led the study and as well as the guidance for the safe playing condition for right. wind players and the researchers at the university that did that. So uh, they're coming to uh, extremely conscious and carefully monitored uh, location. So that, that's the, the, the other side of the coin that, that is worrying us, but hopefully <laughs> for the best. Yeah. Of course, the, the greatest uh, challenge is, is to, uh, uh, to be able to accommodate as many artists as we can. We want people to be able to perform. I started my career uh, as a young professional to be able to play. The first time at the Ideas Conference was, was a really a big asset to me, where mm -hmm. uh, only a handful of individuals were in the audience, but they heard me, there was recording. I could say I played at the Ideas Conference, so that was a really fantastic stepping stone and blowing my own whistle, as well as, and hopefully somebody heard me say, oh, no? Okay, he's not bad as I thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> and I love what you said about networking earlier, where it's really important for people to know you, but to know you within a con within a context right. that is substantial um, and not vapid. You know, we can often see networking as something that is a little bit superficial, but 
you know, when you're at a conference like this, you truly bump into people from all over the world and everyone is there just geeking out about the same stuff. And it's a really amazing way to um, be exposed and, you know, be exposed as, as a professional, but also be exposed to other ideas and other people. And it's just irreplaceable. I really miss it. I can't wait for Boulder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Oh, uh, I hope everybody comes. <laughs> Boulder is also a beautiful uh, location. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Boulder, but mm-hmm. yep. it's at the foothills and and uh, the weather's great. Great food scene and hopefully restaurants will be fine by then. <laughs> and outdoor, uh, uh, of course, activities uh, are numerous here. And regarding Rees, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, for Peter uh, and I put together a, a guide, uh, high altitude reads, uh, and placed it on idrs2022.org. So uh, you can read read up uh, on it. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, I know as the noblest, has the read making down. Cool. <laughs> for, the, uh, for, uh, for this. He's amazing. No, no, he, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I love playing with him. He is absolutely uh-huh. amazing. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I have learned to cope and, and hopefully to be able to uh, to deal with it. But uh, I think it's, it's more of getting accustomed to the environment, uh, thinner air. So you may think, yes, oh, read is so hard. But actually, it's uh, when, you are, when you become acclimated, you will have more air and room to use it more efficiently. So we'll compensate. But there are various techniques. And, and key is then uh, it's so dry, so read takes a while to... To absorb and only will absorb so much water. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the opposite, uh, uh, the uh, truth, uh, the dryness and, and reeds. I remember going for the uh, uh, to Tokyo for the first time and, and to perform, and of course I, I was living here. Oh, and uh, <laughs> uh, I, while doing the rehearsal, uh, uh, I took my read and uh, I'm soaking, you know, because that's what I do here. Otherwise, I can't play. <laughs> and and I look at my next uh, my colleague and I, I saw my colleague laying the bassoon on desk upside down. I said, "What are you doing?" He says, "Yeah, I'm drying my wrist." <laughs> I said, "What do you mean, drying my wrist? Well, if I soak it, it will be too wet. I won't be able to play it." Here I said, "So I took my read out, and the opening is about three millimeters." <laughs> oh gosh, just waterlogged. Yeah, waterlogged. <laughs> so I learned my big lesson. <laughs> So when you come here, uh, make sure you soak your read. <laughs> yeah, bring lots of water. <laughs> yeah, a little longer than you usually do in, in, in New Orleans, for example. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in really big trouble. I'm in such big trouble. We're like <laughs> tropical down here. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a half mile, so a I will be in as bad as situations as other people but uh not quite as high as boulder sea level to boulder is going to be tough (laughs) yeah uh well what's really interesting is that uh, i don't know anything about ovaries but what soon read i found that uh, these made with a slightly thicker gouge Mm. uh yeah because then you can take more off correct and also thicker gouge uses the more porous part of the cane that absorbs more water and retain more water so initially, being softer, the cane could be thicker, mm-hmm. and using part that absorbs and retain water, and that seemed to help bassoon reads, uh, as opposed to if it's 
Too thin, then of course it dries out very, very quickly, even though you're playing in your mouth and humidity levels high, but the, the effect of dryness uh, is uh, contributes. So. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for that tip. Shifting gears a little bit, um, one thing that I really admire about your career, one reason I was attracted to higher education was um, I was really attracted to this idea of creative activity and getting to do projects. And um, when I think of your career, I think of all of these concerto engagements and international performing. And so I wonder if you could tell us about um, some of those projects that you've engaged mm-hmm. in in your professorship and what it's like performing all around the world. I know we talked a little bit about that with Reeds and the Double mm-hmm. Reed Society, but I'm now wondering about you, the artist. Oh, oh sure. Uh, I think what the academia encourages, as you know, uh, is to promote the university and for individuals in, in uh, non-arts field, they publish. Uh, but as you're aware, uh, what's, most, what's most important about being a musician? Well, you have to you have to play your instrument and you have to demonstrate it and perform. And university for me has provided me time as well as funding and support to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. Meaning that there are very successful uh, individuals, but I can only count with one hand, uh, who could make a career as a solo bassoonist. Right. Or who could command uh, respectable or a, a very good wage to perform a concerto with the orchestra. Actually, if you think about the concertos or oboe concertos, they feature the principal players of that orchestra when they do so. Right. So that uh, that uh, I was able to, therefore, with the support of the university uh, as well as their endorsement, was able to accept many engagements where. My objective was that I'm going over there so I can make money and pay my bill. But oh, here's an opportunity. Okay, you pay me so much. Okay, that's okay. Because I am being supplemented by the university, so it's not going to hurt me. Uh, actually, we're going, it's going to help me with my career. So I, I accept and never say anything, uh, know about uh, uh, these performances. And at the same time, I would say, well, if you want, I'll give you, I'll, pre- I'll be glad to present a masterclass. They said they can't pay me. I said, that's okay. In many respects, university is paying me, so I'd be glad to work with you students. Right. Which, I, which they loved, and I did. And by doing so, I was able to, uh, 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 to realize uh, two things. One, my artistic endeavors and be able to play and for others to hear me, as well as to really show what an American style of playing is. I'm Japanese, educated in the United States, and my style of playing is American. There's no question about it. As you know, European approach to bassoon playing, or especially oboe playing, is different. Mm-hmm. And, and majority of, especially Asian countries, until most recently, uh, students would often go to Germany or Italy, or especially Germany, to study. So their approach is European. Mm-hmm. And only in the past couple of decades where graduates from university, uh, U.S. university schools of music uh, agents going back to their countries and, and to teach and establish, and to teach their st- the style, American styles to their students. But I was able to promote that. And I, I believe they like it. Uh, uh, it's uh, 
think is, uh, well, <laughs> American Orchestra is uh, incredible, uh, and the players, of course, uh, it's a different style, not better, but different style than Europeans. Mm -hmm. So I was able to do that, to promote the American style of playing, as well as to promote myself as an artist, and to, to be able to further network, especially with key teachers. Remember, teachers are the very important head of the tribe, right? Mm -hmm. In different, uh, different Asian countries, mm -hmm. and establish these networks. And uh, they're also uh, extended not into Asia, uh, and also to Europe as well, uh, Australia. Uh, again, I feel extremely fortunate that I was able to do so. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that, you know, instead of just being European focused, we can branch out into other countries and, mm -hmm. you know, really learn from other styles and mm -hmm. the you know, globalization can be very controversial, but there are so many benefits to, you know, ADRA and IDRS mm -hmm. and all of these, you know, different styles of double read playing, enhancing each other. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I had to uh, postpone uh, my, my next, uh, actually, engagement uh, was supposed to be this weekend. <laughs> In uh, Lyon, France, I was uh, supposed to do master class and teach at the Lyon Conservatory, but I had mm. to, to to cancel that. Uh, Carlo Colombo, I don't know if you know that name. Mm -hmm. uh, he is the principal bassoonist of Lyon National Opera, uh, and he's a professor at uh, the Conservatory uh, at uh, Lyon Conservatory. And uh, uh, we met actually, both of us met in, in Beijing of all things. Uh, <laughs> we were both there as a guest. Uh, artists uh, during the Beijing uh, Bassoon Festival, and he was in the same program that I was in, and we got to know each other and heard each other play, and it, subsequently he's been to Japan as well, and I met him there and worked with him. Then through that network, he invited me to, to Leon a few years ago. I invited him to Colorado, and he invited me back. And, and interesting to hear musicians in Europe, by the way, uh, I think they're being more Americanized. In other words, their approach to playing, yes, and the concept of sound uh, resembles more of synthesis of the best of two worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it was uh, really delighted to, to work with them. And, and also, I was, uh, was delighted to know that they were interested in what I had to say, as opposed to, oh, stupid uh, Japanese American here. <laughs> <laughs> What does he know about Sansons? <laughs> but, but the masterclass I presented, they wanted me to work with Sansons with them because that's Sansons is a Mozart equivalent to auditions in, in France. Uh, and of course, they play incredibly well, but I, you know, I, I gave my two cents worth and I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that would be really intimidating to coach Sanson in France. I... <laughs> well, where the uh, 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 Italian French teacher is listening and like <laughs> to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, 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 everybody's so open again. Globalization, there, everybody's so aware. I would love to hear about a favorite memory you have of a past performance. Do you have any standouts oh, from yeah. your long and illustrious career? <laughs> well, actually. Uh, I had one recently, and uh, I'm, and also I, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to say it, and I'm delighted to say it because uh, I, I, I gave a faculty recital on October the twelfth, 
and during which I, I played Higdon's Darkwood. I don't know if you ever played that particular piece mm -hmm. for violin, piano, and cello. And I also commissioned uh, Corinne Fujiwara, a Japanese-American uh, composer to write a piece for Peter Cooper and me and a string quartet. Uh, and uh, a string quartet, by the way, which the IDRS conference will be in residence, uh, the second violin, so that string quartet happens to be my daughter. Uh, a copy of the M string so quartet. Uh, <laughs> and also, my wife is a pianist. Uh, so, uh, for the recital, uh, that, which is Faculty Tuesday, which has a really, uh, very successful and large following at Boulder, uh, I performed John Hig uh, the, uh, Higdon's piece uh, uh, with my daughter, Violin, uh, and with my wife, uh, Piano, and members of uh, Carpe Diem uh, and uh, uh, Cello. And to be able to play the work uh, 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 at the level that I thought we did, which I was extremely satisfied with, and also the type of music, uh, Higdon's music is pretty incredibly hard. Uh, <laughs> I sweated over that. <laughs> it's extremely uh, uh, satisfying. And also to have a rehearsal where I'm playing with my daughter, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, she's playing better than I am. <laughs> 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 I make, kept on making mistakes and I'm getting lost and she's not. Oh boy. I don't know what I'm for. <laughs> for simple reason that she, I mean, she's been playing you know, almost every day, touring, playing all these repertoire. And, uh, and so that was a, really a, a rewarding uh, experience. Yeah, oh, that sounds beautiful. so special. <laughs> um, we always close with the question, mm -hmm. what advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? I think it's extremely important for all of us to uh, have a goal, a uh, goal that is based on realizing your passions. And if you have that passion, and, and you also have to be realistic, meaning if I had a passion to becoming a professional basketball player, I need to be told I'm wrong. There's no way I, <laughs> somebody like me <laughs> could become a basketball player. I just don't have the aptitude, height, or coordination, period. But anyway, I think with a goal in mind that, and if you pursue it with patience, you will get it. And in the pathway, a path, uh, in this, in, in, in your pursuit of your goal, you will, everyone will come across uh, a folk road. Uh, where you have to reassess, but which is okay. But that reassessment and acquiring that goal is based on the original goal, and you're simply refining it. But if you follow that that dream and that philosophy and work very hard at it, I think most people will get it. Most people will be able to realize it. It may take a while, but we'll realize it. We, we just need to be tenacious. And without a go, then you know, then there's no motivation, perhaps. So that's my advice. <laughs> I must say that uh, I feel that I am extremely fortunate and lucky to be where where I am, to gotten what I what I have, and if I could be of help to to anyone and guiding anyone or advising anyone, so that they can, they too can. I'd be glad to do so. So just reach out to me. Yoshi Ishikawa, thank you so, so much for spending an hour with us on Double Read Dish. We really can't thank you enough. 
My pleasure. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you for five wonderful years. Y'all are the best. We love you so much. Also, it's officially Hanukkah now. Happy so, Hanukkah! Happy Hanukkah, Galit. Go check out that Hanukkah merch. Absolutely. And it's also December, as of y'all listening to this. So the if Christmas is your thing, we've got Christmas merch up on the website. And uh, also some winter merch. If neither Hanukkah nor Christmas is your thing, go for it. Let it crow, let it crow, let it crow. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Follow us on social media. You know the drill. Galit, who's coming up on the next episode? We are so happy to feature a wonderful interview with Sue Tomkowitz, professor of oboe at Columbus State University. Jackie, we got to end this nerd parade. Go make reads.